With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, your go-to source for a quick and informative look into the state of University of South Carolina sports presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and with South Carolina football currently on an open week preparing to face Clemson, we'll be focusing mainly on men's and women's basketball this episode. But first, some news out of Stone Stadium. The Gamecock women's soccer team has advanced to the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament by beating Kansas 2-0 on Sunday, and they are set to face Washington State this upcoming Friday at home for a shot at the College Cup. That would be their second College Cup appearance in three years. And as a quick reminder, we will, of course, have lots more coverage coming of Clemson, South Carolina football throughout the entire week, including a full podcast episode previewing the matchup on Wednesday. So be sure to check out GoGamecocks.com for all our coverage. But in the meantime, let's talk some men's basketball. And to do that, let's bring in our men's basketball beat writer, Andrew Ramsbacker. Andrew, an interesting week for the men's basketball team. They lose to Boston 78-70 to and then just barely squeaked by Gardner-Webb 74-69. to Just real quickly, what were your overall impressions of these past two games? Yeah, a little surprising. Uh, I think the way South Carolina started uh, with its first three games, you felt a team that had some preseason expectations, had some preseason hype, some excitement off of not only the young players that contributed to last year's team, which finished fourth in the SEC, but the new players that were added to this team, Jermaine Kuznar being one of them, a guy who uh, who sat out last year and, and had obviously a couple of really good games in the, in the SC program that got people excited. Jared Bolden, now the team's starting point guard, had played solidly the first three games. So you saw the athleticism, the depth of this team, and they blew out those first three teams with like historically good defensive numbers. And I think it raised the expectations, I don't know, even more, but certainly got kept people engaged and excited here in November for South Carolina basketball. And Man, all it took was 40 minutes to, to bring that thing back down. Uh, Boston University comes in here. You know, they're two and two. You know, Frank Martin talked about how he was a little nervous heading into that game because BU was different level of competition than North Alabama, Wyoming, and Cleveland State. The first three games on the schedule, just because they returned four starters from last year's team. Uh, a team that won like 15, 16 games. They're picked fifth in the Patriot League. But to Frank Martin, it represented something else—an experienced team for his young guys to play against. And uh, South Carolina lost. I mean, BU beat them. That game was 60-all with about seven minutes left. And BU went on a, I believe it was a 9-0 run, 8-0 run, 9-0 run. And South Carolina just could not recover. Ends up losing that game by, by eight points. And then I thought that you would come out of that and... I thought they would handle Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb was a team that we saw last year at Colonial Life Arena as a 16 seed, came here for an NCAA regional, and was leading Virginia at halftime. So you knew they were they were game. Uh, this was a team, again, like BU, with some experience that Frank Martin feared for his young guys to play against. But they also came in at 0-4. So you were, you were wondering what they were going to be like 
you know, off of an early season slide, and they brought the fight right to the Gamecocks. That was a 40-minute game that, give credit to South Carolina, they pulled it out. Jermaine Kuznard made a series of clutch plays down the stretch, which which helped Mike Kotsar had a couple great hustle plays, kept them things alive late, and they made enough free throws in the second half to do what was needed to, to win the game by five points. But you look at these two games in totality, and out of a possible 80 minutes, um, South Carolina was either tied or trailing for 54 minutes and 17 seconds of that stretch. So I think that's kind of telling um, of where this team is right now. We might have thought after the first three games it was maybe ahead of schedule, ahead of, you know, could exceed expectation that was set on, upon it entering the year. Now it's like, okay, it's time to regroup and see what this team really is. And you always, always take that with a grain of salt because Keyshawn, this team is not 100% right now. Keyshawn Bryant obviously still bothered by the knee surgery. He should be back here soon enough, maybe in the next couple of weeks, uh, which will really give you a full look of what this team will look like. And you also got to remember how poorly this team struggled at the beginning of last year and how well it finished. So, uh, Frank Martin's teams typically get better as the year goes on, but I think to split two games at home against the likes of uh, Boston University and Gardner-Webb was was a little surprising. Uh, I think a lot surprising uh, heading into uh, to a part of the schedule now where it really stiffens. Yeah, it just seemed like with football entering a bye week and it you know that season going so disappointing and the way that men's basketball had just blown through its first three opponents it was really an opportunity for them to get a lot of momentum a lot of attention on campus and they they kind of stumbled a little bit for sure and like frank martin said these are experienced teams but they are teams that you would expect south carolina just to handle based off an sec talent level yeah, I mean, they were a 15-point favorite to beat BU uh, and lost by eight, okay? So so there you go. But they just didn't they didn't have it. Uh, this is a team that showed that it was really good defensively for the first three games, and that uh, stretch of defense kind of covered up some offensive warts that this team had. There was a long – there were stretches in all three of those wins, even though they were blowout wins, where the offense had, had laws, had shooting laws. And when that showed up again against BU, the defense wasn't good enough to – kind of make up for it and at the end of the day you had a uh, you had an eight point loss and then against Gardner Webb I didn't think the offense was that much better I thought the they were a little smarter, particularly in the second half. They stopped taking a bunch of threes, uh, which they've been really, really struggling with right now. And they they went a little more inside. They got to the free throw line more, made their free throws, something that they did not do against BU, and, and it ended up being the uh, the victory formula. But you learned a lot about this team the last two games. I think you're going to learn a more about them going forward. You mentioned the three-point troubles they've had. You mentioned a stat to me. They were nine for their last 43 on threes. I mean, how much... Do three-pointers have to be a part of their offensive identity? Or are they going to have to take their chances with a cold or a hot streak from beyond the arc? Well, if you read my six bold predictions, and I'm sure you did, Greg, uh, before the season, one of them was I thought South Carolina, this South Carolina team, would threaten a school record for three-point attempts this season. I don't say makes or percentage, but three-point attempts. Just because you look at the personnel, and between A.J. Lawson and Jared Bolden, Jermaine Kuznard and Justin Minai and T.J. Moss off the bench, you have those five right there are guys that can that aren't afraid to shoot. And... Frank Martin teams the last couple years, even with Chris Silva uh, being a huge presence inside, has taken a lot of three-pointers. And that's kind of the you know the nature of the game now, right? It's, it's more spread out. With, look what the Golden State Warriors did to kind of evolutionize all that stuff. That's part of it. But the other part is they just have the personnel to do it. And right now they're just make, not making shots. 
obviously that is a big part of wins or losses because it's a big reason why they almost lost two straight to BU and, and, and Gardner Webb. And I don't think this is a team that will finish like in the 20% range in three point shooting. I think they'll get better as the, as the season goes on there. I don't think they've been terribly bad shots per se. You know, I think, you know, some are, you might watch in real time and think, why did he take that? But then you realize, well, it's AJ Lawson, right? That guy should have the green light all the time. He's their main offensive player. I think they're going to keep shooting. Um, you know, they don't have that consistent presence inside to pound it in all the time like they did with Chris Silva. I think Mike Kotsar has played really well recently. But again, he's not he's not Chris Silva, and you're not going to run your offense through that. So, you know, when your best players, most skilled offensive players are on the perimeter, you're going to take a lot of threes. So uh, this team's just going to have to start making more. And uh, I think they will as the season goes on. But, yeah, in terms of how that affects results, they got to make them. <laughs> there's, there's no other way to put it because there's not that cohesiveness right now, that chemistry with this team, uh, you know, defensively, where you can have that trust to say, hey, even on a bad shooting night, can we win? We saw that uh, the last two games that, this, that that doesn't work. And you mentioned the historic defensive performances that South Carolina was putting up through the first three games, what they did against Wyoming, holding them to, I think, the lowest point total in the shot clock era, correct? Mm-hmm. What did BU and to a lesser lesser extent, Gardner-Webb do to find the holes in South Carolina's defense? Yeah, they came right at him. I know that sounds like really simple and not all that deep thinking, but that's basically what it is. Their guards were able to beat South Carolina's guards off the dribble, and they got inside the paint for a shot for themselves or a driving kick. Uh, I mean, Gardner-Webb coach brought that up the other night. I asked him specifically, what did you guys learn from watching the BU film that you applied tonight? And that's what he talked about. Is South Carolina and Frank Martin has always been known defensively that they're going to take you out of what you want to run. So good luck trying to run your system, whatever it is, unless you're super disciplined and you're, you're really all together. What you have to do is just kind of, for lack of a better term, just play, just play basketball and kind of create for yourself kind of off script type of stuff. And when you have good guard play that can penetrate and kick out and kind of get the other team's rotations off defensively, you're going to get open shots. And Frank said it numerous times over these last two games that we have been not very good <laughs> at, at guarding the ball. And until until South Carolina figures that out, I think you're going to see more teams apply that kind of strategy. You know, it takes a lot, a lot for Frank Martin to admit that his team can't guard the ball in the go zone. It's not like Frank is going to adjust his defense because his guys can't guard the ball. They're going to keep playing man-to-man, and they're going to have to figure it out for themselves. Um, you're not going to see a whole system shift there. So that's a challenge, but I think it's, again, that speaks to Frank Martin. This guy's won 250 games now in his career. That's his identity. He sticks to it, and I think it's one reason why his teams get better throughout the years because they finally learn to kind of fit to his system, and, and guarding the ball is a big thing. They want to be aggressive and attack passing lane and stuff like that. But right now, because they're not getting a good push on the ball, other teams are driving and kicking and getting open looks, and the closeouts just haven't been as crisp. And you mentioned that this upcoming week will be even more interesting in terms of the level of competition steps up again. They're going to Cancun facing Wichita State on Tuesday and then opponent TBD on Wednesday. What do you think is going to make this so important for South Carolina? What What do you think it will teach us? Well, I think they with the Boston University loss, it I don't want to say a must win in November because that's kind of crazy, but it, you think about it because um, you got to almost got to make up for that, right? I mean, last year, I mean, you heard it a million times, the losses to Stony Brook 
early in the non-conference was one thing, but then you didn't you didn't grab a signature win over a Michigan or a, or a Virginia or a Clemson. The other opportunities that non-conference. Not only did you not do that, you dropped another kind of head scratching game to Wyoming, right? So. They've already dropped one of those uh, to Boston University. And maybe BU goes on and wins the Patriot League. Doesn't look like that big of a loss, whatever. But right now, it's not a good loss. So how do you make up for that? You can't replay that game. If you get a neutral site win <laughs> over a Wichita State or a or a West Virginia, even Northern Iowa's team, that's all three of these teams uh, and their potential opponents in Cancun are all undefeated right now. Um, and all three teams, I think, have, have a chance to, to make the NCAA tournament. These are all resume-building opportunities and chances for South Carolina in one week to kind of change what is a tweaked narrative on its season. You had ex- it's, it's been a roller coaster ride through two weeks, right? Expectations going in, got off to a really hot start, get brought back down to earth quickly with a loss to, uh, to BU. If you come back and, and grab these neutral site wins and win this Cancun challenge, well, you know, the BU loss gets kind of gets put aside. It's almost like a uh, you know in college or in high school where the teacher drops your lowest test grade, right? That's kind of what it would give you, I think. Particularly if you win both these games, um, a split has to happen, I think, for this team moving forward because it doesn't get much easier after this. You come back for G for George Washington, which South Carolina should win at home, but then three straight Sundays: Houston, Clemson, and Virginia. So you, you got to grab these uh, opportunities. You got a chance and. These are these are huge. You're 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 going up against Greg Marshall in Wichita State, a, a crazy consistent program for a long time. Greg Marshall being a South Carolina guy, a lot of interest in that game. And then if you win that, potentially to play Bob Huggins, a longtime friend of Frank Martin and, and former uh, colleague of Frank Martin at, at Cincinnati and at Kansas State. Tons of storylines in Cancun, but the one you got to remember the most is, is if South Carolina can can get a split or even better get get two wins. All right, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Greg. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. And switching gears now to women's basketball, let's bring in do-it-all reporter Ben Brander to help me talk about how Dawn Staley's Gamecocks are doing. Well, Greg, you were the one who made the trek up to the upstate in Clemson this weekend to watch the Gamecocks pull off another win. Right now they're sitting at number five in the country, 6-0 overall, coming off a couple of rather notable victories. Is this team, which we talked about in the preseason, is really young, has that really good freshman class, are they, in your mind, ahead of schedule from where you thought they might be at this juncture? They are, definitely. I think I've been on the record saying that, you know, I thought they were super talented and they they brought back some, some interesting returning pieces, obviously but it was going to be a question of how well they all gelled together and how quickly that process could come about because even Dawn Staley said she wasn't quite sure how she was going to juggle, you know, freshmen wanting to play right away and veterans, you know, wanting to continue in their roles. So coming in, I expected, you know, an adjustment period, and I have been kind of, quite frankly, blown away at how seamless they've made it all look so far. It's been quite impressive. This particular week, they played USC Upstate at home and unsurprisingly beat them. But they won 112 to 32, which is a record for largest margin of victory under Dawn Staley. 
They just manhandled them throughout all four quarters, which had been probably Coach Staley's only area of concern was putting together a strong second half, and they went ahead and they did that. So they did that, and then they go to Clemson this Sunday and win 84-48. That 36-point margin is, I believe, the biggest road win by either team in that series. So once again, just very much asserting their will, playing strong throughout all four quarters. The kind of things you expect veteran teams to do, and this is a very young team. And so I don't want to fall into the idea that, you know, they'll just continuously improve no matter what. There will certainly be setbacks, but it is still impressive. And if I was a Gamecock fan, I would be encouraged by what I've seen so far. Now, South Carolina through the years has kind of moved through different offensive identities, used to be pretty post-heavy when Elena Coates and Asia Wilson were here, kind of went into a little more small ball during the title run, a little Asia-centric the next year, and then last year was kind of a a grab bag with sort of the the talent available. What kind of offensive look is this particular team sort of settling into? You know, Dawn, I think, has said in, in general, they're, they're still, she likes post-play. And with senior Makia Herbert-Harrigan and freshman Aaliyah Boston, they have really good posts. Posts that can take over when necessary. And that's something they really didn't have as much as last year. That's when you're talking about the grab bag. They really didn't know what they wanted to do. You know, Dawn said at the beginning of the year they'd be a three-point shooting team. But I feel like that was almost by necessity rather than, you know, something she was really excited about. And so fast forward to this year, they have really good posts, but they also have guards that are kind of interesting. I think you saw it against Clemson and against USC Upstate. Taisha Harris, senior point guard, has been a rock for this team, but Dawn's always wanted her to be more of a scorer. She's moved in that direction a little bit. And against USC Upstate, she really showed an outside shot that she hasn't as much. I mean, she's she's shown the ability to hit it on occasion, but not consistently. And I think she was something like five for eight from three point against USC Upstate. So if she can do stuff like that, that's going to really unlock them. And then other guards like Destiny Henderson and Bree Beal and Zaya Cook, those are players that are not only unafraid to shoot from the outside, but very willing, very eager. Uh, whereas last year, it seemed like the guards South Carolina had, Taya Cooper, Bianca Cuevas-Moore, and Ty, felt more comfortable driving, slashing, which is good in a sense, but it always kind of felt like the spacing was never perfect for that because defenses didn't have to respect their outside shot, whereas this year, they're able to do that a little bit more. Basically, there's no one area where they can just dare them to take the outside shot. They they can make pe- teams pay for doing that. Now, in terms of their rotation, it seems like they're a little bit heavy on kind of height and bigger players. How is that manifesting itself defensively, especially considering they've also got kind of a bigger guard type in Bria Beal and then sort of those three guards that they also rely on, including Destiny Henderson, who's probably not the the biggest player out there? Yeah, I think it's manifested itself most obviously in the fact that they entered Sunday as the nation's number one team in block shots. Aaliyah Boston was a huge part of that with 10 blocks in her first game as part of her triple-double. After that, her numbers have gone down, but I think if you are just watching the games, you can tell teams don't want to challenge her. They saw what she did against Alabama State, and yes, it was Alabama State, but then she went and did five blocks against Maryland. Teams know don't mess with her inside. You're you're tempting fate. And so you've got that, and you've got Makia Herbert-Harrigan, who has long been known as a very good shot blocker. She's, you know, another fearsome presence inside. And then when they go to the bench, they have Victoria Saxton, who is a little bit undersized, but an, a very good leaper, very good instincts. On most teams, I think she would be their top shot blocker. And on this team, she's almost a third option in that regard. So that bigger, stronger look that you're talking about it really makes them dominant in that regard. 
But another interesting facet is that Dawn has talked about with all these freshmen, she doesn't want to get too complicated with the defenses, so they're mainly just sticking with man-to-man. And that's worked so far because the, the freshmen especially have brought so much energy and communication that they can kind of just work off that. You know, they'll switch, obviously, but they're not going to mess around with too many zones or something like that. I mean, as Andrew said with Frank Martin, you know, he doesn't want to do zone because he wants his teams to stay that way. Dawn's not philosophically opposed to the zone, but I think she just wants to keep it as simple as possible, easing those people into it. And as long as the enthusiasm and the intensity is there that's needed for a man-to-man, she's going to ride that as long as she could. So the question will be, as we move forward in the year, as they play maybe some SEC teams that are going to be more physical, more challenging them on offense, whether they can stick with that man-to-man, whether they'll have to adjust a little bit with some zone defenses. Now, outside of Maryland, obviously the schedule hasn't featured too many heavy hitters, as it were. That's probably going to change this week. It's definitely going to change this week. They're heading down to the Virgin Islands. Obviously, Baylor, number two in the country, is sort of the biggest challenge on this trip. But they've also got a ranked Indiana team and Washington State. I guess, what do you kind of expect first from those two games and then before facing, you know, a former Gamecock in Taya Cooper and the Bears? So the Indiana game should be interesting, primarily because they're a program that's been steadily on the rise. They won the WNIT two years ago and then advanced to the NCAA tournament last year. They're really on the rise, got a lot of interesting talent. They're number 18. They could move up in the new AP poll that comes out Monday. That being said, South Carolina should have the talent to beat them. The way the AP poll, or the way the you know just all of women's college basketball is looking right now, it seems like the top 14 or so teams are really a tier above the rest, and Indiana would be in that tier just below them, but a very solid step below them. That being said, how the freshmen respond to the first of three games, it's also an exciting trip. Aaliyah Boston's going home to her family uh, in St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, so that is going to be emotional in some ways. You'll We'll see. We saw against Maryland that the moment wasn't too big for them on the road against a ranked team. So to an extent, I don't, I, don't, I don't expect nerves or anything to be a factor. But it's just kind of a lot going on, so that'll be interesting. Washington State is, quite frankly, just not in a good place as a program right now. They should handle them. Presuming they do that, that's another Power 5 win. That's just a level of talent you typically don't. they haven't seen, except for Maryland. And then that Baylor game is going to be really interesting because... They're currently missing preseason All-American Lauren Cox, who has a foot injury that's keeping her out indefinitely. If I was Dawn Staley, I kind of would almost be curious to see how Aaliyah Boston matched up with her, so I'd be a little disappointed that she's out. But with her being out, that gives South Carolina a really golden opportunity to stake a claim to being the number two team in the country right now. Oregon is the clear number one, but the number two spot is definitely up for grabs. And with Cox out, South Carolina, I I would give them a very decent chance of pulling that off. Baylor this past week had a little trouble with South Florida on their home floor. And what we saw with that was South Florida was getting enough outside shooting to space the floor. Like we talked about earlier, South Carolina has an an amount of outside shooting that hasn't had necessarily like say last year when Baylor wiped them off the floor. And then with Taya Cooper, as you mentioned, former Gamecock, now with Lady Bears, Watching that South Florida game, I was kind of struck by what makes her such an exciting player, but such a frustrating one, in that she's a driver, she's a slasher, and she's very confident in her own shooting prowess, but sometimes that can mean she'll pass up maybe better looks. You know, she'll get a good look, but there's a better one out there. So with her at the point, 
it might be feast or famine. She might drop 30, but as South Carolina fans saw last year, there are other times where she'll disappear a little bit. And if the Gamecocks manage to catch them on one of those games, then I like their chances. You know, I wouldn't go so far as to call them the favorite, but I would say it would be a very intriguing matchup. Overall, just playing three games in three days is going to be a good test for these young players. The depth isn't, like I said, isn't an issue for the team this year. But it is always just kind of, you know, playing high-level basketball, bam, 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 right in a row, will test teams in new ways. All right, that is all for now. We will be back Wednesday with a full podcast preview of South Carolina Clemson. And for more updates on that matchup, women's soccer, men's basketball, women's basketball, all things South Carolina, keep checking GoGamecocks.com. And remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen.